You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me as always on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. What I'm doing in today's show is I thought it'd be a good idea to reach out to people that I know that play fantasy basketball and love the NBA but come from other fields to talk about why they are into it, what they love about the NBA, what they love about the game. So Michael Bolton... Let's get to it. To it. All right, fantastic. So today I am joined in the first one of these shows by the 2016 AFL Premiership captain of the Western Bulldogs, a legend of the club, Easton Wood joins me. Easton, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Josh. I've uh, been listening for for a long time, and uh, your advice has helped me get to the top three in my leagues for a long time now. So. Yeah, nice to be on the show. It's fantastic fantastic to have you on. Of course, uh, people who listen to this show know that I am a lifelong Western Bulldogs fan, as is my parents and their parents and their parents. And basically, since the club started back in the uh, in the late 1800s, we've been uh, following them, had you know, relatives play for the club uh, back in the day as well. So we've always been supporting the, the club, and it's just great to have Easton on here. But Easton, I want to talk NBA with you here first. Um, why, why did you get into the NBA? Well, I mean, um, I guess I, I played basketball as a kid growing up in the country, but um, I don't remember the NBA ever being on TV, so it took a very long time before I was introduced to that, and it was actually through uh, a couple of my housemates, actually an ex-Western Bulldogs player, Ace Cordy, um, he was a big basketball fan, and we were just playing uh, NBA 2K on the couch back when that was 2K11, so that's a long time ago, um, but um, yeah, kind of introduced through that, fell in love with that, and then he was playing fantasy, so I... I got on board with that and was no good at it um but then obviously discovered your podcast along the line and got a lot better <laughs> so i i know that the the nba is popular right across the afl for those of you in america who don't know the afl is the australian football league we'll talk a little bit more about that that league later on i know it is massively popular across the entire league but it seems to me and maybe this is just because of my bias that it is you know more so popular at the bulldogs i i saw a, a bunch of stuff and actually last night i made my girlfriend watch the 2016 documentary the outsiders because we're watching yeah. sports socks so you got to watch this and i saw one of the clips in there where everybody was wearing an NBA jersey. I don't know if you guys had an NBA day. Even Bevo was wearing like a Clippers hat. Everyone had a jersey on. Like, for a start off, what was the story with that? Was that just a specific yeah, no, we, NBA day? Yeah, we had, we had an NBA day. Um, I think pretty much everyone at the football club either you know, follows a team um, or is at least vaguely interested. There's no one that really doesn't um, get involved. I mean, in our change rooms, we've got um, TVs in the middle of the room and um, when the season's on, it's constantly constantly playing through SPN and stuff there so um it's always it's yeah it's always on and around and there'd be three or four different fantasy leagues in, in the that guys are in as well so um always plenty of discussion yeah so I know that look a few of your teammates actually follow me and uh, and message me for advice and listen to the podcast as well and I know there's quite a few leagues that are going on there I imagine that's the case across numerous other other sports as well but it does seem really highly concentrated for you guys down there uh, at the Western Bulldogs who is do you have a team that you support uh no never um it was too hard it's too hard to choose out of 30 and without a, a direct connection to any of them um and really, with my introduction starting with fantasy, I've just followed followed players who I inevitably ended up drafting. So I think I've that's 
I think that's the case for a lot of people here, just because we don't yeah. have that territorial alignment. So it's like, yeah. and and the way the league's promoted as well, it's promoted very you know, player based versus team based. You don't have that. It's not forced as much down our throats here as you know, Lakers and Celtics and and Bulls. It's it's just sort of you know who were the players at that time. And that's again when I got back into it back when I was in primary school, it was very much yeah Michael Jordan. Yeah, so it was Jordan, and then it was for some reason the other big name here was Larry Johnson of the Hornets. All the Hornets gear yeah. was you know flooding Australia, and everyone was getting into following the Hornets or the Bulls. They were the two teams, but it was more just that that player sort of uh, sort of focus and gigs we don't have that sort of alignment i guess there's the alignment we can have here with the australian players over there so you see a big rise in in Sixers jerseys going around with Simmons, uh, especially even uh, Dante Exum with the Jazz. When that happened, uh, when he was drafted, there was a bit of that going on. So it is very player-specific. So in terms of that, like who are the players that you are sort of drawn to? Well, obviously there is that um, Australian element. So um, I've always enjoyed watching Paddy Mills and the Spurs. Um, you mentioned the Jazz there with Joe Ingles and when Dante was playing there. Um, it was pretty exciting in um, when Delhi was playing with the, the Cavs as well and watching him through the finals. Um, and then obviously you mentioned now with, with Simmons in the, in the Sixers has been really interesting to watch. But um, I'm like a lot of other people. I, I'm drawn to the stars, so I just like to watch the big games. Um, if I'm going to sit down and actually watch a game, um, it's probably going to be one of those big games, whether it's you know the, the Lakers and the Clippers or watching Giannis and the Bucks. So I'm um, yeah, pretty keen on just watching the best guys go at it. Yeah, I think that's that's the case for a lot of people here as well. Is just watching watching the best in the world do what they need to do, and that's that's what's. Uh, I mean, when I started watching it, we'd get one day a week, an hour on a Saturday morning, so you'd get those highlights of Jordan, of Barkley, of of Pippen, those sort of guys pushed in, and, and that sort of progressed. We obviously get a lot more coverage down here now than what we did back in you know, the early nineties. A lot of a lot has changed since then, uh, in terms of how uh, how the league is covered down here. In Australia, yes, so do you follow a team? Like, did you because you had the Bulls and the Hornets and stuff growing up? Did you follow them or I followed the Bulls and my, too hard now that you can't actually follow someone. Yeah, I followed the Bulls back then, and my brother was the Hornets, so that was that was it. So these are the two teams. One of us was the Bulls, one of us was the Hornets. So we followed them. Yeah, back when that came out, and yeah, ever since I have started covering the league, it is hard to you can't really focus on one team. You've got to sort of put that aside and look at the league as a whole and try and, and plus. <laughs> The Bulls and their piss poor decision making has made it pretty easy to say, you know what, I can't really, I can't really what focus too much. <laughs> oh my god, it just yeah, you can't really focus on on that sort of stuff. Otherwise, it would drive you insane as you're yeah. trying to provide yeah, even uh, even sort of a commentary across uh, across the NBA. Yeah, yeah. How many um how many fantasy basketball leagues you win? Uh, just the two. Um, I've got one that I run. Um, I'm the the commissioner of at the at the at the footy club, and there's a few um random um guys in that as well with. Um, just a few of my mates from outside, and um, then I'm just in a, in another one um, through another friend. And so, how are you, how are you going in them so far in this season? Well, yeah, who knows what's happening with the rest of the season? But how are you placed at the moment? Well, we took your advice in um, in the league that I'm running in terms of getting the the playoffs to start early. So we were in the first round of the playoffs. Yep. Um, uh, and I was playing off with uh, with Jack McRae, um, <laughs> who was sitting on the top of the tables, and I was I was fourth. So. Um, I played him the week before and he gave me a touch-up, so it wasn't looking good. <laughs> okay, so uh, we'll see how, see how that would have uh, panned yeah. out. But yeah, there's so maybe uh, the cancellation has been good for me. <laughs> yeah, you can get uh, you can get a, get a little bit of a bit of the uh, the pride back and not having to go yes. down in that, in that first week uh, of the finals. Um, oh, yeah, I know, I know Jack is a listener to this podcast as well, so it's uh, interesting you two guys going up against each other in that in yeah. that first round. 
Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he listens. We yeah. always make the same moves. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, uh, I, I don't want to out too many of the people who, who do listen, but there is, there's about five or six that I, that I know listened, uh, listen to the show that down there. You're yep. probably all, all together in that same league. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Now, when we, when we talk about the NBA, like, do you see as a, as a professional athlete yourself, like, what sort of parallels can you see or what things do you see like, in terms of the way the NBA goes about it where you go, well, that's different to what I would do or, wow, I can't believe they do that. Like, is there any things that you see that, that's very similar or, or I can't believe they're doing that either a positive or a negative way? Um, one thing that jumps out in terms of um, just, wow, I can't kind of believe it, um, and I know it's been a bugbear of yours, and um, the way that when you've when you've spoken about it is how they manage hamstring um, injury. I had this on my notes to ask you about. I, I, I can't believe yeah. it. I, I'm I'm staggered by it as well. I know they don't. Um, the court's not big enough for them to get to top speed, but they're still accelerating and changing direction and cutting at maximum velocity and that kind of thing. So, for me, for um, people listening who don't know, I've had I don't know 13, 14 um, hamstring strains across my career so far. Um, and every time that I've done one of those, it's a minimum, you know, three weeks before you come back, come back and play. Um, and at best case, that's, you know, two weeks before you're hitting top speed kind of thing. Um, and that's on the rare end of it. Uh, but these guys are, you know, sometimes not even having a week off. Sometimes they don't um, even have a game off. It's like one day. And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll ease them through it. It's, it's mind-blowing. Um, I, I honestly can't get my head around that, whether it's just because they think they don't have as much load or they must have some guys can just carry it through the way that they play um but for a game that's so explosive and the guys that are so athletic i, I just I, it blows my mind how they um yeah can do that well we've seen a couple of cases already this season like mike conley had a hamstring issue came back and it went again and marcus Ole had a hamstring issue he came back and then it went again like these are guys on the older end of the spectrum but this is the sort of thing that i've been talking about and even you know clay thompson with his acl it's not a hamstring injury but he hurt his hamstring he missed one game in the finals and then overcompensation is an issue and then the ACL goes yeah. and I can't say that that's 100% linked but you also can't rule it out no exactly you're right so I, yeah I, I just don't under, understand that and that was something else because I knew you'd had that history of the hamstring injury so I wanted to talk to you about it to see that because I sometimes I feel like I'm crazy talking about it saying oh you know what, what would I know I'm not, I'm not a doctor I'm not in the changes but it does it just comes off as, as really wild and again watching that documentary last night speaking of um Speaking of Jack, and they were talking about how he hurt his hamstring in that game in 2016 against Geelong. Yeah. So it's like an eight-week injury, and then he came back in five weeks. Like, oh, I'm not sure he's going to make it. Like, it's five weeks. These guys are coming back in a day, and we're like, oh, it's five weeks. I'm not sure if he's going to be okay. Yeah, well, that's it. And, and like, um, with, our, with our game, with how physical it is, um, you know, and I'm, the NBA players are the same in terms of they play with injuries all the time. But, I mean, we play with injuries um, all the time, guys playing with broken ribs or – um, you know, rec- uh, you know, ligaments gone in their ankles or, or whatever it is. But the one thing that they don't take risks with is soft tissue stuff. Um, they're always on that conservative end because um, of the risk of relapse and it's the reoccurrence. You know, if you do a, a two-week hamstring and you come back in one week and you you re-aggravate it, you're going to miss the next three weeks straight away. So that um, is kind of how uh, I suppose our medical staff look at it and why they're always on the what seems compared to the NBA, the more conservative approach. When you, you hear about, when you talk about all those injuries that we don't necessarily hear about, it's a common thing in sports at the end of the season, like you know, 20 players go in for surgery that we don't hear about injuries during the year. So is that something that frustrates you from a athlete point of view to hear media talking about players whose form might not be right, but you know that they're dealing with a crack in their ankle, a busted rib, a, a fractured 
you know, vertebrae, whatever it is, is that sort of a bother to you that you know that if you're not sitting at 100%, like then your performance, your health isn't 100%, your performance is down? Because that is something that I that I notice. Yeah, I do you know, have criticisms of players, but you also know that if there's something not right, then they, they, they can be 2% off and it has a real impact on everything they do. Yeah, it, it, it is a frustration. It's more just something that you learn over your career that you just have to um, you just have to accept. And and players take a lot of pride in their ability to play through injury. Um, and they take and myself included take a lot of pride of if you declare yourself fit to play, then you're fair game. Um, and you take that responsibility. If you go out on the field and say, look, I'm I'm right. Um, and, you know, I'm going to give everything I can to perform as best I can. You just kind of have to cop um, the criticism on the chin and, and hope that, um, you know, you haven't made the the wrong call and that your medical department are looking after you and controlling it well enough that you're not going to do yourself um, long-term significant damage. Has there been an instance in your career where you've been, you know, like, no, nah, I'm fine to go, and you've been, in the end, grateful that the medical staff have said, no, nah, come on, Woody, like, you, you can't go out and play this week. We've got to hold you back. And then you look back at it and go, well, that was probably the right call. But in the heat of the moment, you're like, no, nah, let me get back out there. Uh, yeah, early days in my career when I had no idea about hamstring injuries, Um like the first couple of times I did it, um, you feel like a little when, – so when I've done them, I've been running in open field – and you feel a little um, a sting in your hamstring. It kind of feels like you get stabbed by a needle almost. There's a little rip or a tear. Um, and, you know, once that's, once that's gone and you get the scan and, you know, two days later you, you're told you've got a, a hamstring strain but you're walking around and you can't feel a thing if it's a minor one. So I found that really difficult to, um, to take on board as a young kid of like, you know, you've you've got this strain. You can't play for three weeks, and I'm talking to the doctor saying, "But I can walk. I can, f- I can move around, and can't feel anything." Um, but then now knowing um, and having tried to push it at different times, that and having relapses, um, that that's the worst thing that can happen. I, I had an, an instance in 2013 where I did a hamstring in a um, in a practice game in the lead up to the season and it cost me a month. Um, I came back in round three thinking that it was all right and fine to go and five minutes into the game, I basically um, yeah, ripped my hamstring apart and missed uh, 12 weeks of that season. So um, I learned the hard way that if it's, if it's not right, it can go very, very wrong. Yeah, so you got to have that sort of trust in the support staff who, you know, they're not doing it just to just to piss you off and to hold you back. Like it's it's for your own and for the team's betterment, I guess. When that sort of stuff uh, yeah, is there, and it is a hard decision to make for those for those doctors and medical staff. And again, we I wonder how much that because of the the star nature of the NBA and the salaries they get that the medical staff maybe get overridden a bit in in that regard. Like if a player says, we want to play, and then the, the team's like, we'll let him go out there, and the doctor's like, eh, maybe not. But they're just like, well, I think you'll be fine anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fascinating point as well because, I mean, the, the whole structure of how it works with the pay over there, um, the power is in very different positions. I mean, you even compare coaches in the AFL compared to um, coaches in the – um, NBA, if they have a disagreement with um, a star player, the coach gets sacked. Yep. Um, that does not happen over here. Um, if you have a disagreement with the coach, you can spend the rest of the year in the VFL and not play. Yeah, it's um, a very different uh, type of discipline. And and people here, like if that happens and you have to go back to the VFL, like they cop it on the chin and like, all right, cool, and they'll be back in two weeks and they learn their lesson. It will, so it seems from the outside. 
yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how it um, I suppose how it's planned to work and how it does uh, happen most of the time. Question for you in terms of you know, locker room type chemistry. We hear all these problems, you know, with the Celtics and Kyrie Irving last season, and oh, is that going to be an issue with the Nets and KD coming in? And there are people that say, well, that sort of stuff doesn't matter as long as you go out in the court and and perform. That's all that matters. But how much do you value that actual you know, that chemistry or the 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 blokes just getting along together in the locker room? Do you think that actually has a tangible impact on performance and winning? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it's one of the most critical, if not the most critical thing about um, a team. And, and we're different to the NBA in that our team um, on game day has 22 people in it. So you're dealing with so many more um, you know, um, personalities and diversities amongst the group. So it's even more critical. Um, I suppose the benefit that we have in contrast to the NBA is that uh, it's not a star-driven league on our team that if if our best player um, plays, you know, their best game, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win. Um, we still need a, an even contribution across the board where in the NBA, if you've got the best player on the court, you can probably normally um, win the game. So I, the egos over there and, and the salaries and that kind of thing make it um, pretty difficult. I don't know how you'd control um, a locker room over there. I mean, we're fortunate that at the Bulldogs – that um, yeah, we've got a we've got a great group where there's no many egos um, in the club, and the guys that are in leadership positions, um, you know, are empathetic, uh, humble, and you know, caring people. So um, we've been able to build you know really really good chemistry f- um, to give us the best chance to play as well as we can, but also help us stick together when the the times are tough, which is really important. That sort of thing is really interesting, especially when you, you tie it back into fantasy basketball because that sort of stuff, it's almost impossible from the outside to quantify. But yeah, a, a sour locker room, a disagreement between players and coaches and management, whatever it is, you're losing, as I said, losing that 2% off your playing. Like If you're just down that little bit, it has an impact across so many different areas and we can't really judge that sort of stuff. So. You know, working out like guys that might have disappointed are oh, are they are they just trash now? Are they maybe they just don't fit in. Like an example, say Rick Rubio last season for the Jazz was really down. Was that because of the system? Was that because he didn't quite fit in with the coaching staff? They didn't use him properly, and he goes to Phoenix and he looks like a player that he was four years ago. And yeah. we can't. It's so hard to judge that sort of stuff, but it has a huge impact. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Even um, you know, I've had uh, different spikes in form with um, with different coaches and different groups and. Um, you know, that's that's the same across all competitions, all sports. That um, if you're if you're happy and your your coaches put you in a position to thrive, then you're going to be able to play um, and perform at your absolute best. But if there are barriers to that, if you know there's infighting, um, if there's uncertainty in the team, um, if you're not able to play with a lot of freedom from the coach, that they're too micromanaging, and you know their game style doesn't suit what your strengths are. It's going to be very difficult for you to perform at a, at a level that reflects your best. I think that might be something that's even happening with Joe Ingles this season in Utah, like just forced into a different role with Conley arriving and just not really feeling that's even though the minutes might be the same and he's playing that same yes and back into the same role as last season it just does he just not exactly the same and it's impacting quite a bit of his overall performance i've had a few people uh eastern ask me like in this hiatus in the nba people looking for sports to follow so numerous people said you know can you explain to us about the AFL. Now, I know that's going to be hard to, to bring that bring that out in a, in a couple of minutes here. But for reference to people, an AFL field is 180 metres long, usual, around that mark. 
and about uh, 100 meters wide. We have 18 players per team on the field. What else would an American want to know, do you think, about the AFL? If they were going to start watching it, if their games even go ahead, which we'll talk about that in a second, because they are uh, scheduled to start in a couple of days' time. What would be the key things for someone who's never seen the game to, to know about it? I think the biggest draw card, um, I think, is that the, the game is full contact, um, and full contact from 360 degrees. So if you have the ball, you can get tackled from any position, whether it's your front, your side, or your back. Um, the game goes for, for two hours, so we have this incredible balance of having to be aerobically fit um, but having to be fast and powerful um, to be able to win and contest for the ball um, and doing all that with, with no um, physical protection. So unlike the NFL, we don't wear any, um, any protective gear, yet we, um, yeah, it's, it's full contact um, uh, the entirety of the game. Um, and I think the, the most spectacular parts of the game are um, high marking, so guys can jump on each other's shoulders to, to mark the ball. Um, that's pretty spectacular. Uh, and, yeah, the when guys can get the ball and um, break through packs and break through tackles, all those huge hits um, that we see uh, from from week to week and game to game um, is what keeps keeps people coming back. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It's just the 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 physicality plus the athleticism about it. And people don't I don't think people understand the amount of running that goes in. Like you'd have more access to those sort of numbers. But like, what sort of distance would you cover in a game? Uh, I'd average around 15, 15 kilometers a game. And that, that's um, and that's a, crazy. Yeah, and I'm an uh, an average runner. Um, so some guys, um, if they're playing on the wing or in the midfield, um, you know, can get up to that 18k a game mark. Um, it depends with how much game time you have, but um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd be anywhere between yeah 15 and probably lowest 12k's a game. Um, so I think that's in terms of um, the the athletes on the field. I think it's one of the most unique games. Uh, in the world in terms of what the game demands from its athletes um you can't it's very difficult to just be have have one one skill um so you, it's amazing with the different different types and body types and skills that you we see out on the ground um but yeah you, as i said you have to be a, a incredibly aerobically fit to cover that distance but you have to be fast you have to be powerful but you can't be too strong and too cumbersome that you you can't run out the the 2 hours um, so it's a fascinating balance yes and look the the body type is really interesting as well cuz here uh, at the bulldogs we've got Caleb Daniel who's 5 foot 9 maybe 5 foot 10 i, I don't know around that sort of height and you know t- tim english 610 like 611 yeah. it's yeah. It, Crazy, crazy body size differences between these guys all expected to perform in not the same role, but very similar. You're all running around. You're not specializing. You only do one thing. Like everyone's running around and doing a whole bunch of those different things with you know, slight differences to their role. If you want to go and check out some highlights, you can go check out. Um, I think if you just put into YouTube Eastern Wood Marks, you'll see some of his uh, high-flying exploits uh, across the field over his career with some uh, some huge grabs that Eastern has taken uh, throughout his career. Um We'll start to wrap it up now, Easton. Go back to fantasy just to finish this off. What would you? What was your best pick? Do you think in your drafts this year? Who was the player that you got that you were the most? Maybe it was off the off the waiver wire. Like who was the player that you were the, the happiest to get? Um, my happiest pick was my last pick of the draft, getting Fred Van Vliet. Oh, geez, that's um, a good one. Yeah, and obviously one of your tips 
Um, but watching him through the uh, the finals last year, um, the way that he finished and, and contributed, it was obvious that he was going to have um, you know incredibly significant role um, this season, uh, and it was awesome to see that. Uh, you know, eventuate, and he'd been a great pick. It was a bit, bit of a shame how he got a couple of injuries here and there, but um, yeah, he's he was he was great. Fenville's an interesting one because I thought, yeah, he didn't be for a bigger role. He'd play thirty minutes, and then he came out of the gate playing like 39, 38 yeah. minutes a night, just taking every shot. This is a way in. And I was like, yeah, great last pick. Love getting Van Vliet. It's fantastic. I did not expect anything like we've seen from him so far this season, where he is the thirtieth ranked player over the course yeah. of the season, and he is going to be when it actually ever happens one of the most intriguing uh, free agent guys for this upcoming off season is to see whether Toronto pays up, which they absolutely should, or whether he gets a huge yeah. offer that they decide not to match. Yeah, that will be fascinating to, to, to see, won't it? Last thing, Easton, uh, coronavirus and the AFL, we're awaiting a decision on what's going to happen uh, with the league here. At, at this point, the plan is to play the first four rounds without any fans, which I think or is it the first, just the first round they've ruled out the fans for? Uh, no, they've ruled out the fans um, indefinitely, I think. Yeah, so we're the first four rounds, so unfortunately I won't be there on uh, on Friday night, obviously, to watch uh, what you guys take on Collingwood. But now there is you know, perhaps concern over the next day or two that those uh, those games may be postponed. They've already reduced the season down from twenty two weeks down to uh, down to seventeen uh, down to eighteen weeks. Um, yeah, so it's all it's all changing really really quickly. I mean, the plan um, as of yesterday was to to continue with um, the season at this point. Um, as, as you said, the, the season's been reduced to uh, we play every team once, so that means there's 17 games plus finals. Um, but, you know, we're, we know that there's going to be a point that, um, that we're not going to be able to play. There's going to be a, an in, an in, you know, a shutdown period, um, and we're not sure how long that's going to be. Um, so, obviously, with that reduction from the 22 games to 17, that's a, a massive hit to the, to the industry. Um, so, the AFL and... Um, the Players Association and the players, we're all pretty keen to make sure we can, um, you know, at least fulfil that 17-game season um, and get that away. And we're looking at, obviously, a whole range of options to be able to to make sure that we uh, we complete that. It is going to be interesting to see exactly what they do decide to do. Regardless, if you guys do play on Friday, I'll be here on the, on the couch watching you guys on the TV and, of course, uh, yelling too loudly. Easton, thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking about your fantasy NBA, NBA love and, uh, and some insights into professional sport. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks a lot for having me, mate. And that will do it for today's podcast, guys. Don't forget to check out, after you finish listening to this, today's episode or this week's episode of Hollinger and Duncan. Go check that out. Subscribe to this show, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. <laughs>